Tara and I are going to do something different and take turns interviewing each other. And today, I'm going to be the one who interviews Tara. We're going to get a chance to have an inside glimpse into her life by pulling back the curtain and learn more about her growth, the challenges she's overcome, and where she's heading in the future. Today, I'm so excited because we're going to do something different. We're going to have a chance to get to know a little bit more behind the scene of who Tara is, what she's doing today, and how she got to where she is today. Because we already know from what she shared about her life that she's gone through a lot of transitions and a lot of growth. So Tara, why don't you tell us a little bit about what are you doing today? What kinds of things are you into? Yeah. So professionally, my joy place is working with clients who are really coming out of a toxic, unhealthy, abusive relationship and moving forward, whatever that looks like for them. It might be transitioning out of that relationship into singlehood and what that means for them. It could be transitioning out of that and into healthy relationship skills. That's really my joy place, primarily because when I was in that place myself, I felt like it was so difficult to find the help and support I needed to get out of there and to feel like not alone and validated and supported in that very unique spot. You know, it it was so much more intense than a normal breakup. It was so painful. The way I, I continually describe it is like it was a bomb lofted into my life and my whole life completely felt upended. Established friendships changed. Clearly, my romantic relationship with this person changed. My relationships with several of my family members ended. It was a huge blow up. And I've seen that for a lot of my clients in the same space is that when they start getting healthier, all these other relationships start to sort of come under the same kind of microscope. Can they grow with me? Are they going to support me in this new journey or not? And Professionally, that's what I do today. I've written three books so far. Two are specific for couples. One's called Grateful in Love. Another's called A Couple's Goals Journal. And then one is for the specific joy place that I have of reclaim and recover, heal from toxic relationships. So those are the things I do professionally. I guess personally, I... What I am focusing the most on doing today is really just cultivating joy in however I can. And by really working on being more present in all my relationships. When I was specifically in any of my toxic relationships, I found I was constantly living in the past or the future. In the past, because I was in so much pain, nothing had been dealt with. It was constantly re-triggered or reactivated when they did the same behavior over and over again because nothing changed. As well as in the future, because I kept thinking, oh, when they get a new job, or when I give them this present, or when I act such and such a way, then they will be nicer and they will treat me nicer and I'll be okay and I'll be happy. And I never was living in the present. And I'm a parent. I have three small children. I'm remarried. I'm in a much happier, safe relationship today. And so I really try to focus on cultivating that joy. And sometimes the way I do it is just like smiling constantly and just reminding myself like, where are my feet are? Where's my nose? It's not so much about trying to live in the past or change the future. It's really about enjoying what I have. And some of that gratitude comes from the fact that I didn't have what I have now for a long time. And I have a lot of, I have so much gratitude about that, that Some of the things that I have are because of what happened to me in the past, but 
Some of the things are also that I have today are also because I put a lot of work in and I'm really proud of myself and proud of, of everything I have in my life because of, of those things I had to go through and those things I had to do to get in the place that I am in today. You've shared a bit about these different transition points. Like you shared that you came from a troubled home. You shared that there's been kind of a turbulent early years. We know about that difficult relationship that's with very toxic. People react to these things in a variety of ways, but you've taken it and, and made it, it's changed you. It's shaped you into a more healthier person. What do you think you attribute that to, that ability to take these really hard experiences or hard places and make it into joy, like you're saying, this more proactive, healthy thing that you have, the attitude that you have? I read a book by, I believe, Angela Duckworth. It's called Grit. And it talks about how the power of overcoming failure and becoming resilient. And I read that probably in my early 20s. And I really related to that because coming from a physically abusive home, coming from a home where I was literally constantly criticized, told that, that I couldn't do something, told that it was never enough, that kind of thing. I felt like I was always pushing against somebody or some force or myself to try to do and improve. And I always had this strong sense that that I could do it anyway. I always had that mindset. And when I read that book and really identified with the grit piece, that stuck out for me. And mm -hmm. I remember growing up, my mom would take credit for a lot of my accomplishments. She would say, oh, you graduated college with honors because I did X, Y, Z, or you were able to do so well in high school because I stayed at home and I gave up my dreams and goals and whatever. And I always felt that it wasn't because of her, but in spite of her that I was able to do those things. So that really set me up to always sort of be pushing back and just trying to do what I thought was best, best for me. And pretty much every situation I've gone through has just been another experience and resilience and grit that really unhealthy relationships was exactly that mm -hmm. is I was felt like I was constantly trudging through peanut butter trying to do something different. And that was part of, I guess, the freeing aspect of that is finally letting go and walking away from those relationships is I didn't have to be in peanut butter anymore. And when you're training, walking through peanut butter and then suddenly get out of it, you can walk so much faster. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think for some of us who have been in these really unhealthy relationships, that's what it's like for us. It's like we were training for a marathon, trudging through peanut butter, and then finally the peanut butter has gone and we mm -hmm. can just sort of fly. And that's really how I see it for myself is that I had these really, really tough experiences where clearly I needed to learn certain lessons. And then when I was finally able to practice and implement them, it was it was good. It was easier than it had been in the past. My ex and I, for example, we were in couples therapy, individual therapy, couples retreats, recovering couples anonymous. You know, we were in all these different things. I read so many self-help books, so many relationship books. I did my certification to become a relationship coach. I did all of that while in that unhealthy relationship. So when I finally was in a healthy relationship, I was able to implement and practice that. And all of that was, all of that ended up being good. There wasn't any bad in 
trying and practicing those in the unhealthy relationship because I was eventually able to practice it in a better one and healthier ones. Mm -hmm. I have my view of what I think grit and resiliency is, but how do you define it? Maybe it doesn't necessarily agree with that book, but I would love to know what qualities inside of you do you think has really contributed to that staying power, that overcoming? In the book, they talk about grit being not stopping when adversity or obstacles or challenges hit Mm -hmm. to sort of see it as maybe I don't go this way. Maybe I need to go around it this other way, or maybe I literally just need to climb over it. And that's really how I've seen it myself is it's not a stopping point. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, I need to go around it. I need to find another way to work around it. I need to climb over it. I need a rope to get over this high wall. It's adversity is a, and those challenges are a part of life. What can I do to overcome them? What can I do to keep going and keep going forward? I love that. I had a similar definition. I once was told that I was tenacious, which Mm. I said, to me, the picture I get when I hear that word is like ivy clinging to a brick that's actually going to ultimately destroy the brick because it's so tenacious. It's so stubborn. But then I realized, you know what? That's why I'm wearing my hat is because I'm tenacious. So I I agree. I think that's powerful. One of the things that you you do that I find uncomfortable, and I'd love to know a little bit more about how you found freedom and and why you find it not uncomfortable, is you don't mind labels. You and I have talked about that. Like You openly talk about your codependency tendencies. I know now that you have this new identity. Yeah, it's actually part of an identity, ADHD, that you're trying to integrate into what that means about who you are, your abuse survivor. So how do you find help in these labels? Help me with that. I first heard the word codependency in early individual therapy. I don't think I heard it when I was in individual therapy for family issues when I was in high school. I do know that I started hearing it when I was getting into individual therapy shortly before and after I realized I had issues with drug and alcohol and chose to get into recovery for those specific things. And I think 12-step fellowships are a lot about identifying these aspects of ourselves and being able to then move into a solution because there's that awareness piece. You know, we are, we're aware of a problem, but we may not understand what that problem is. And then we're able to identify it and have some clarity around it. And then we're able to move into that solution piece. And I've always found that really beneficial of like, okay, now I know what it is. And now I can I can Google it. I can read all these books. I can get specific help for this specific thing to move through it. And sometimes it's opened up other cans of worms. Codependency can also look like love addiction, can also look like people pleasing, can also look like what you and I talked about with super traits. It can be all these other different things. We may be able to agree with some parts of it, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. But really, ultimately, the goal is we find some kind of solution and move out of it. And for myself as someone who has to recognize that I have problems with drugs and alcohol, I I have to recognize that aspect of myself. And the similar with codependency. I can still go into codependent traits at times, especially when I feel overwhelmed and stressed. I can find myself going into people pleasing, not wanting to bring up things to my partner, going into being very hyper vigilant about how is he feeling? How is he doing? And he's not doing anything. He's just being like his normal self. There's nothing for me to feel unsafe about with him. But I still can find myself going into that place of, for one, maybe not even sharing how I'm feeling, not even giving him the opportunity to show up for me or 
know that I need something because I'm not communicating that because that's I, I see that today as sort of my default and my it, default it, isn't healthy. Yeah, it sounds like to me you use labels as a way to identify a problem and then to help you have more control over it, make sense of it to then to address it. I find them shaming, which is why I don't like them. But I, I hear that they're not shaming, they're empowering for you. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I definitely see people, for example, who don't like the term addict and don't like how, for example, if you're in recovery, you call yourself an addict for the entire length of your life. That's the idea. It's like, I'm an addict that's never going to go away. And I know plenty of people who don't like that, who don't believe that, who believes that it believe that it goes away. I, I haven't seen that personally. I've been in recovery for 16 years now. I have not seen that default aspect of my personality to go away completely. It still can absolutely come out where I think, oh, this this ex- this thing outside of myself can change the way I feel on the inside. If I spend more money or if I make more money or if I gamble or be in the right relationship or whatever, I still can find myself in that potentially addictive place that really never, really never takes me anywhere good. Mm-hmm. So what are you working on today? We're always in process and evolving. So where do you see yourself and where do, would you like to move to or process change? Yeah, I have, I have very much been working on my parenting that has been a big goal for me as of late. My son, who I have shared on here before, was recently diagnosed with ADHD, and I got diagnosed with ADHD right afterward. I have noticed that he has started developing really unhealthy ways of reacting to his anger. Recently, I went into his room, and he had we had put together this About Me poster board for his school the previous year. And so there were pictures of all of us, all of the family members. And I found all of these pictures. He had torn off his About Me board that were – he had torn off every picture I was in. Mm. And I, I said, why, why did you take these off? And he said, well, I was mad at you. Mm-hmm. And that kind of reaction – that kind of really big, like, I'm going to take something, I'm going to destroy it. That is a pattern of, of behavior that I've seen from his dad. His dad is someone who, when we were engaged, literally just decided to, like, break our dining room table. Just, like, pick it up, break it. And that level of behavior is really frightening to me. It is not something that I want my children to know and grow up with is this idea that that's how you should handle your anger. That's a healthy way to handle your anger. Mm-hmm. And I try a lot to just talk about feelings. And like, I had to have a conversation with him of like, how would it feel if you walked out, you walked out of your bedroom and realized I had taken down every photo that you were in because I was mad at you? How would that make you feel? And he'd be like, I, he said I was sad. And so we talked about how even if I'm mad or I'm upset at something about you, I never stop loving you. I never want to take those things away or not have reminders of you because I never I'm never not going to love you. Mm-hmm. And those are really hard, uncomfortable conversations to have with your child. I know that they will continue to be conversations I have. And sometimes it just brings up the guilt of being with their father as long as I was. I left their father when before they were even two. I left before they should have been able to know or recognize what what was happening. But I still wonder how much of an impact did that have on him, on them? And because of our custody arrangement, for example, what what is going on that I'm not necessarily aware of? And all, all of that is 
is is scary and I don't have a lot of control over those things. But I do have control of what I do in my relationship with my son, how I get him help, how I talk with him, how I model healthy ways of handling that. But parenting has been my primary goal is how do I show up to be a different kind of parent? How do I try to break that stuff that I saw growing up and that he may be seeing in another home that I don't have any control over? This is such a common fear that what you're expressing on a double level. One is that we worry about what our kids have inherited just because of the the genetic component, but we also know that when we're not with them, we can't protect them from what's happening there. So how do you psychologically manage that for yourself? Because, boy, I've seen so many parents so, so strung out and so scared about this. I have a lot of conversations with myself <laughs> and my husband, <laughs> and I have a lot of a lot of tearful times. But it always comes down to is what's my sphere of influence? You know, what can I control? And I can absolutely control my relationship with my son. I can absolutely control what happens when he is in our home, the conversations I have with him, the reaching out for help from therapists and things like that. Mm-hmm. And attempting to have conversations with the other parent in a way that in a way that addresses it which is it's not always possible i can't control what the other parent does i deal with a lot of like overt lying from the other parent like oh that problem doesn't happen over here and that's not a big deal and those kinds of things okay it it doesn't just happen at my house like i'm certain this kind of stuff doesn't happen at my house And there's that gaslighting piece, too, of like, it must be something wrong with you as a parent because it's happening at your house, which is absolutely not true. And I have to fight against that a lot. But I can only control so much. And some of my son's stuff is going to be his journey. And that's the hard part is, and I agree with you, I watched that with my own kids. I didn't know my children were autistic. I didn't realize that. I mean, you'd think, what? You, you're a psychologist and you didn't know. No, I didn't know. Not until they're all grown. But I knew something was going different. I know that. Knew that at the time. But but I, I had to say to myself, they are their own people. And yes, I have a part of shaping that, but I cannot force every decision. I can't make them be who I want them to be. I have to give them that freedom and trust the process. So I get where you're at. I love the fact that you're working on cognitive empathy, though. That's awesome. That's a really great place to do. And and it's so cool. So when you're looking forward, what's your next project? Where do you see yourself kind of going? I see you love coaching, you said. Mm -hmm. I I don't think people appreciate you're you're more than that you've written three books. That's you also have (laughs) had you've been a, a, a significant presence online as a writer. Most people probably don't realize that that I would even maybe this is not fair. But to me, you're writer first, because that's how I've known you. I knew that you that way. And you had a, a very large audience on a writing platform. So I, I, yeah, where do you kind of see your yourself heading in the future? I do a lot on social media, which is you and I both have really big platforms there. And I've actually really enjoyed that aspect of doing video. I never thought I would because I'm very I'm I'm very introverted as a person. I was a teacher for some years and every single day I would go and teach and I would like literally have like I would stink so bad because I had those anxiety sweats because just being in front of a group of people. But I've really enjoyed doing video and doing that kind of stuff. And so I would like to do more things like that. I love doing our podcast. I I think we do something so amazing and so special together. So mm-hmm. I guess I see I see more 
sort of being in that realm. I love writing. I will always love writing. It's always something I come back to. But I've really enjoyed actually sort of putting a face to that and not being so behind the Mm -hmm. scenes and like sharing myself in a slightly different way that like I could see doing speaking events. I could see doing more on YouTube and things like that, just like you're doing. Like I see that sort of being a building point for me. And honestly, as a parent, it's easier for me to like do a quick TikTok than it is to write a blog post or write a book or that kind of thing. So I see it for the stage and era of my life. It's a fun diversion. And I think when my kids are older and more settled and less dependent on me, I will absolutely return to writing more. But it's not the stage I'm at in my life. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. So when you Think of all the lessons that you've learned. And I know there's a lot more lessons you're going to learn as you kind of move through life. But where you are, what would you wish that the audience that we know listens to us really could take home from your life that out of your experiences? I was thinking about this the other day. I don't love how I used to pose this. But when I was going through the end of my really unhealthy relationship, I felt extremely humiliated. And I remember I would hear sometimes people say that if you are not humble, God will humiliate you. Mm. And I hated that idea. Like, I I want a higher power or universe or whatever to be really loving, kind and non-judgmental and and not want those things for myself. But I do realize looking back that I had a superiority complex and that was a place of safety for me. I would judge or gossip about other people and it was a way that I didn't have to look at myself and what was actually going on in that relationship or in the relationship with my family. That was always a big, big thing of just sort of looking at what other people are doing so we don't have to look at ourselves. And that was... The biggest and hardest lesson for me to learn. There's like little aphorisms to remember that is like when you're pointing a finger at one other person, you got three pointing back at you. Don't throw stones in a glass house. That is something I recognize sometimes in myself is when I find myself looking at and judging and being not the nicest about other people for whatever reason, I'm like, I I have to wonder what am I avoiding thinking about or addressing in myself and before I was dealing or really addressing the thing with my son, I, I found a similar thing that I was sort of getting like feeling sort of superior to some other parents I met. And and I was like, why am I feeling that way? And I was like, oh, <laughs> because there's this thing that I actually need to deal with and I'm yeah. probably avoiding it because it sucks and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. That is the thing that I guess I would hope all of us to think more about is that when we're just really looking out. To, to take that pause and maybe look back in instead. And that's yeah. that's where I get some power is the more, the better I, the healthier I get, the less I care about what other people are doing. Yeah. I really only care about what I can control, which is mostly on a day-to-day basis, just myself. And that really helps me keep my, my energy as well as what I can control and check. Oh, I love that. That's so wise. It's really wise. Thank you for this. It's really wonderful to sort of see this different sides of you and have you take us a little deeper into who you are. I appreciate this, Tara. Wasn't today's interview with Tara so encouraging? I love how she emphasized the importance of grit and resiliency. What stood out to you as you listened to her? You can let us know at hello at breakingfreewithcarrytara.com. 
And if you haven't yet, make sure that you follow and write us a review. And maybe you know someone that could really be encouraged from today's interview. Consider sharing it with them. And if you're not already following us on social media, you can find Tara at Tara.RelationshipCoach and me at Carrie McAvoy, PhD. And we'll see you back here next week.